0: Hello, you are listening to the Health Disparities Podcast for Movement is Life. Conversations about health disparities with people who are working to eliminate them. I am Dr. Bonnie Simpson-Mason, orthopedic surgeon and executive director and founder of Nth Dimensions, and today I am discussing health disparities and racism with the illustrious Dr. Augustus A. White III. Um, who is the Ellen and Melvin Gordon Distinguished Professor of Medical Education and Professor of Orthopedics, along with the Emeritus Orthopedic Surgeon-in-Chief at Beth Israel Deaconess Medical Center and Harvard Medical School. Welcome, Dr. White, to the podcast.
1: Very happy to be here.
0: Wonderful. We are uh, excited about the topics that, we've, that we're that we going to contemplate today. Um, looking forward to hearing um, your answers and your input insight and wisdom around some of the things that we should think about when we're discussing health disparities with the overlying context of racism. You know, what are some of the initial thoughts that you have um, that, you know, our younger generation should be thinking about when it comes to either the context of racism and health disparities or, you know, where should we start?
1: Well, that, that certainly is, is a good and important question. And uh, one thing that comes to mind is uh, the following quotation. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men and, edit and women are created equal and endowed by their rights and certain rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, This, in my way of thinking, health care includes happiness, includes the pursuit of happiness. And I think that uh, it is a human right, certainly of our citizens here, as suggested by this quote from the Declaration of Independence. But all humans uh, deserve health care as a human right, in my opinion. Um, We are a healthy, humane society, and I think that uh, the irony irony and the impact of this is uh, contrasted by the famous quote of Dr. Martin Luther King who says, of all the forms of inequality, injustice in health is the most shocking and inhumane. And uh, this just accentuates the, the power of this and the inhumanity. And do we live in a society where our common humanity is cherished and protect and protected for all of our people? Or do we live, in a sense, finally, uh, by the laws of the jungle? Mm-hmm. And that is, if you happen to be uh, adequately uh, uh, successful financially, and you have adequate uh, uh, connections Uh, You end up with one level of health care and if you happen uh, to be in one of all too many minority groups, which we will talk about, uh, and you may not have uh, health uh, wealth or at least uh, wealth in order to provide health, uh, you may end up uh, with an inferior quality of care or in some special situations no care at all and non-survival death, if you will, as a result of health care disparities in our country today on a day-to-day uh, basis. So, um, sadly, I must respectfully uh, make this assertion, and uh, I don't think we can say enough about it, and I think we have a long way to go, and I think people are working as Many are in uh, this organization that I happen to have the privilege of working in, the Movement of Life, uh, and we want to see justice in health care.
0: Absolutely. You know, I, I appreciate your um, perspective having spanned, you know, many decades at this point um, serving um, in healthcare, care, um, in orthopedic surgery, but also for the greater good. Um, And I really admire the introduction to your uh, book called Seeing Patients' um, Unconscious Bias in Healthcare. And I read the introduction, and I must say that I wasn't able to get much further than that because um, I was really moved by your approach in addressing um, healthcare disparities to the group of the um, American Academy of Orthopedic Surgery members that you referenced. But I think speaking to the humanity, which is the approach you use in that address, you know, you opened with and you always open your addresses with, you know, my fellow humans. How does that work to, you know, almost disarm or address the fact that you're about to say a few statements that may be a little um, tough for some folks to swallow. But as we talk about racism, we know very well that we have to start having the conversation. So how have you been able to address um, successfully or otherwise your thoughts on racism as you did in this particular address? And what advice would you have for us younger people who uh, see racism, face racism, um, are conducting and providing health care in a society that has yet to address it openly?
1: Well, uh, I make sure I get back to that question, but let me first respond a little bit to your comment about the introduction of our book. Yes. Um, I um, I had the pleasure and the privilege of knowing uh, Dr. Montague Cobb.
0: hmm
1: And uh, speaking of racism, uh, it's, it's kind of a reflection of the opposite of racism in that I was the first... Uh, African-American student to attend Stanford Medical School, and the only student American, African-American student in Stanford Medical School for a period of time. And uh, this may be an example of kind of, I'm going to say, reverse racism. Uh, but what happened was uh, I got to know one of the uh, professors quite well in Stanford. His name was uh, Dr. Walter Grulich. He was a German distinguished German professor who came to Stanford as a, as a professor there. And uh, he must have noticed, uh, well, here's this young African-American guy and no African-Americans anywhere. So anyway, he said, uh, please, uh, if you ever have a chance, look up Dr. Montague Cobb yeah. and uh, tell him that I'm a friend. Uh, uh, his friend, Dr. Grulick, told you to look him up to seek him out. And so please do that. Well, to make a long story short, I I did do that, and I did call Dr. Cobb. I happened to be in Washington, D.C. I did call him up and uh, explain the reason I was calling, and he said, well, can you meet me at the Cosmos Club uh, tomorrow for lunch? Well, the Cosmos Club is an elite club in Washington, D.C., extremely elite. Anyway, he welcomed me, and I had the privilege of of knowing him uh, over my professional life and his. And uh, I invited him to Yale when I was uh, uh, on the faculty there. And I invited him to Harvard when I was on the faculty there with the explicit purpose of, uh, I knew what a great speaker he was, explicit purpose of uh, actually inspiring the African American medical students uh, at, at Harvard and at Yale. At this time, we had more students, of course, in. And uh, and also that was one purpose. The other purpose was, frankly, to show him off uh, to my white professors, because he was such a wonderful orator and such a wonderful speaker. So a very long introduction to your question. Uh, and he introduced his talk by my fellow humans. Mm. And after having heard that, every talk I've ever given, I always uh, addressed it with my fellow humans. And it's... Uh, it you know our our DNA is ninety five point five plus percent identical. No matter what our color skin is, uh, where we're from, uh, where we are. we are, our common humanity begins there. If right, you will. right. And it certainly exists in much of my other experience in life, everything from uh, Vietnam combat surgeon to uh, in the streets, uh, racism to uh, uh, all kinds of forms of this. Uh, but the prevailing hope, I think, the prevailing dream, the prevailing reality is that we are fellow humans, and uh, I think it's uh, something has been recognized by uh, Dalai Lama and Bishop Tutu and and others. But it's a way of saying uh, it should be it should be a starting point for resolving our differences and making better progress as human beings. Uh, so. Uh, I, I I have digressed considerably. Would you well, focus no. me? Yeah, no,
0: that's quite all right, because um I think I, I really appreciate you capturing um that particular um, point of history in tying your um, evolution as you know as a surgeon and as a scientist to that of Dr. Montague Cobb, who was a distinguished scientist and surgeon at Howard University. Um, for which, you know, they I mean, we owe so much to him and his dedication to science. So us even bringing that you bringing that to the forefront so that those listening could see the ties of excellence that stem from, you know, long before now. And so just for you to bring him up as uh, as I'm a proud Howard grad, third generation Howard University graduate, um I really appreciate that as well. So, I, you actually did address part of my statement in how do we as um the younger generations address um, discuss and even broach the subject of racism especially in healthcare yeah. as as we see, you know, certain uh disparities continuing to be perpetuated. Yeah. Um and even as I was just in Winston Salem, um uh, the, earlier this week, speaking at Wake Forest University, doing this very same thing, oh, okay. addressing uh, diversity and inclusion, unconscious bias, um and disparities with you know an all all white department of orthopedic surgery, knowing full well who my audience was going to be ahead of time. <laughs> um, i i I think I probably borrowed from your playbook, but I would like to hear you know your advice and wisdom on how we can broach this very important and necessary subject that, you know, if we don't address it, it won't change.
1: Yes. Yes. Well, I'm happy to share my, my thoughts and, and, and ideas about that. Um, I think there, uh, you mentioned, uh, diversity. I think diversity and inclusion is a very important, uh, uh, reality ideal to address. It has, uh, numerous uh, values for institutions, for people who are involved, and for making progress uh, in the direction of beginning to eliminate uh, and adjust and correct for and protect our humanity and our, as well as our ethnic uh, uh, citizenship, if you will. Sure. Um, And uh, so I I think that, uh, that it's a very important ideal, and there are lots of uh, things to know about it, to learn about it. I have a couple of uh, authors, uh, a couple of books that I would uh, would would recommend in that regard. Okay. And uh, it uh, one book describes very nicely the uh, the fact that organizations and. Uh, uh, places of uh, business that have diversity do better. Okay. So uh, to, to uh, please, to answer your question, to make a contribution to uh, ways to achieve uh, equitable health care, I'm suggesting that diversity and inclusion are very uh, good steps along the way and very good uh, principles to address. Very important. And I there happen to be, I mean, there are many references, but there happen to be two books that I think are excellent in uh, supporting this. Okay. Uh, and one is by Joanne Lipman, L-I-P-M-A-N. And it's called What She Said, What Men Need to Know and Women Need to Tell Them About Working Together. And in that book, uh, examples of how organizations that have gender diversity that have women uh, in them uh, are better and more successful okay uh, the other book is somewhat similar uh, and it's by Scott Page and it addresses uh, the uh, gen- the ethnic diversity m- m- uh as a way of achieving uh, health care equity. Uh, and this is uh, called, this book is called The Difference. The author is Scott Page. How the power of diversity creates better groups, comma, firms, comma, schools, and societies. And that's uh, Princeton University Press. But those are two, and there are other references that give the same kind of information, but those are two that hit, uh, two of the key issues and the key kinds of diversity that that are are very very important. Um, so. Excellent,
0: excellent. So so, as we you know segue into talking about how to address racism in healthcare, um, which has led to you know one of the factors leading to our ultimate level of disparities. Um, what other solutions? Recommendations or advice would you have, you know, maybe for us as individuals, maybe for us as um, a society in our various communities, or maybe even on our larger level, um, maybe just some of you know your final thoughts on what we can do?
1: yeah well, you you were gracious to mention some of my work, and I, I have to, in direct honest answer to you about that question is, to uh, support the kind of work that you've done (laughs) in terms of uh, providing attention and mentoring uh, for younger people or anyone who's interested. It makes a tremendous amount of difference and enriches their ability to contribute and to survive. And uh, so I think uh, education and mentoring of uh, underrepresented minority students is, is an extremely useful and important thing to do. And uh, to back up a little bit too, uh, I think it's it very important that there be sort of a corporate strategic mission yeah. attached to uh, attempts to provide diversity. Uh, it's unlikely to be very successful without that. And it has to be a financial commitment, uh, a um, uh, institutionalized, mission kind of uh, commitment. So I think doing those things, and as people get more and more involved, people who who do get into the system are able to give back and contribute and uh, work in organizations such as we are working in here today with Movement is Life. These things make a difference. As a matter of fact, I would go farther and say we should not underestimate these differences because I think even Uh, You know, on rounds or at the cafeteria or in a cocktail party or whoever you may be to speak up and stand up for what's right uh, has an effect. And I like to call it the ripple effect. And sort of stealing a little bit from the idea of Robert F. Kennedy, you've probably heard his quote, which says that, you know, these kinds of pushbacks do make a difference and should not be underestimated. And they make little ripples. And these ripples, can coalesce and combat a tsunami as they continue to exist. So I think that is is something that's uh, that I really believe in and I uh, also am reminded of uh, another quotation that I like very much from Dr. King which is that the the arc of the moral universe bends slowly, uh, moves slowly, but bends toward justice. And uh, even though there you know there's a lot of things going on in our society today that are very much in the wrong direction. And it's interesting, just a little, to try to make this point a little more, uh, and I hope I'm going to find this paper better than the last one, but uh, anyway. Um, and that is the 13 groups, there are roughly 13 groups, maybe more, I wouldn't say less, but maybe groups of people in our society who experience health care disparities. Yes. Well documented in the literature. Yes. And uh, those 13 groups that, that I hear, I can say African Americans, the Appalachian poor, Asian Americans, elderly Americans, members of lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender communities, um, immigrants, Latinos and Latinas, Native Americans, overweight people, people living with disability, uh, and prisoners, and women, (laughs) uh, our mothers, our daughters, our wives, (laughs) our grandmothers, uh, if you will, all our fellow humans, and these groups all health healthcare disparities. And believe it or not, you don't have to look very carefully to see in the last couple of years in our society how someone is being uh, highly visibly mistreated, if not assassinated, if not shot in, in, in a mass shooting. It's uh, it's quite stressful. So it it just emphasizes the fact that we we want to devote out as much as we can of our energy and our goodwill uh, to trying to improve our fellow humans and ourselves by making our environment, our society uh, more humane.
0: Well, Dr. White, it's just been an honor to interview you today um, for our Health Disparities Podcast with Movement is Life. Um, I don't want it to be lost on our audience that, you know, you are uh, one of those persons whose shoulders we stand on. So we thank you for the ripples that you have created Um that uh, inspire us to create subsequent ripples. And for everyone listening to understand that you don't often get to sit across the table from someone who's um, made history. And as I, you know, progress in age, I'm coming to value these experiences more and more. So I hope our audience will as well, as well as take home um, and really think about and act on the recommendations that you've made, not just in terms of reading, but creating our own ripple effects and standing up for, you know, ourselves and members of those 13 uh, disparate groups here in the U.S. I think it's our responsibility, um, and I think we have to talk about it, which is the point of the podcast, so that we can embed that responsibility in future generations. So, Dr. White, thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you very much. It's been a real pleasure to... uh, to meet with you and speak to you and attempt to have this very engaging and enjoyable conversation with you.
0: It's been great.